Amen. All right. Jeff, Harper, Brian, and Billy praying for you guys in a big way. Just say if uh, the Lord's put it on your heart to, um, to support them financially, just so you know there's still, still financial need. Um, it always is right up until the day we leave, and so I know that's true for them. It takes a lot of money to get there, and, um, but I just want to mention this to you. If God puts that on your heart, be sure you write on your check or your envelope, Philippines missionaries and designated as such, so we know that that's what you want to do with the money. But um, any, any financial support would be, would be greatly needed and, and appreciated, but your prayers is really what um, the team's asked for, so be sure you remember them by name. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, spiritual gifts is where we're going to be today, and I know what you're thinking. Finally, Jason is going to preach on speaking in tongues. Clear up all my questions. I'm not. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Cam uh, Cameron Glass is going to be preaching next week, and I asked him to come clear that up for you. So come back next week and bring all your questions. He'll, he'll answer every question you have on speaking in tongues. Uh, today, uh, we won't make it quite that far. We are going to talk about spiritual gifting and why and how God has gifted believers to serve in the church and what that's supposed to look like. Um, but before we get there, I just thought we'd start off by talking about um, the dumb things we do in life. Now, surely, if you and I stop for a minute and look back over our life uh, journey, uh, there's, there's something that comes to mind when we think about dumb things we've done, right? Right? And, uh, and so I had thought about sharing a few of my dumb things with you this morning, but, um, but one, I, I kind of like this facade thing we have going right now where you don't think I ever do anything dumb, so I just want to leave that as it is. I want you to, to think that I don't ever do anything dumb. But two, I really had a hard time picking something because there were so many. Um, but the reality is uh, many of us, all of us, really have done things in our life journey that we look back on and went, well, that was stupid. And in and, and truth, it, we probably knew it going in, and we did it anyway, right? And so when we think about those things we've done, whether it was when we were in high school or it was last year or it was this morning, something you said to your spouse, um, the dumb things we do, and we look back on those things, and we start asking the question, why did I do that? Why was I so out of my mind that I would do and say some of the things I've done and said. I think there is um, some reality uh, to the motives of the human heart that helped me understand anyway a lot of the things I did, especially before I became a Christian. Inherently in humanity is, are these desires that come with just being a person, okay? And we all have these desires at different levels, but the first one is this, the desire to belong, to be accepted, to know that I'm wanted here. Now, now the way God's designed uh, human nature to work is we were fed that from our families. Some of you grew up in families where you never doubted that you were loved, you were accepted, you belonged. Even when you got in trouble, you never doubted that you were loved. Now, now others had a different experience altogether. You didn't get that from your families. Okay. Now, there's another human desire that we have, and that is not just to be accepted, but to be needed. To know that I'm necessary. To know that if I wasn't here, I'd be missed and I have some sort of value to add to the family or the team or the, the work group or this church. Right? We all we want to be accepted. We want to be needed. But even more than that, I think there's another desire that we have. And some of us more subtly than others. And that's the desire to excel and be good at something. To be known for something. To have left a mark in some kind of significant way. Now... Um, what happens is um, the flesh feels these longings and desires and then convinces us to do really dumb stuff to fit in, to feel like we belong, to win approval and to feel accepted by others or needed, right? Can you remember doing some really dumb stuff in high school? You guys are just right there in that phase of life. Have you done anything that you just went, well, that was dumb? And you look and you go, really, was it worth it? I did some really dumb stuff in high school to be accepted, to have people want to invite me to the next party, to have friends to walk with in the hallway, to have a place to sit at lunch, to know that I needed and wanted. I did a lot of desperate, dumb stuff. You see, the flesh convinces us 
that in order to win other people's approval, we have to perform well. We have to impress them. We have to entertain them or they'll never want to be around us. But the gospel informs us differently. The gospel says to us, you are accepted and loved, not based on how well you perform, not based on how funny you are, how impressive you are, how good you are. You are accepted and loved based on who God is. So you don't have to earn it. You can't earn it. And any performance that is required of us to impress God has been performed on the cross. Jesus impressed God on your behalf. And God now looks upon you and says, you're accepted. I'll accept his performance for yours. Come into my family. Now, in the modern age church, uh, it's, there's still this struggle, though, even in church, to feel accepted, to feel like we belong, to feel like we're needed, to feel like if I don't show up, somebody will notice, right? Many of us, probably even today, are still attending church in this, under this idea that they won't even know if I'm here or not. I mean, right? Like, who will even miss me? Like, the church will still function just fine without me. Now, what's beautiful about this passage is not only is all that going to be challenged, but Paul is going to say to every Christian in the room, you have a, not only a place in God's family, you have a significant God-designed role and function in the church, and it's yours. It's not up for grabs. Somebody else can do it. It's yours. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. All right, let's get started. First three verses. Paul lays a foundation. Verse, verse says, now concerning spiritual gifts. This is, when we, when we say spiritual gifts, we're talking about the ways that God supernaturally, through the power of his spirit living in you, he empowers you, he equips you, and he gifts you in a specific way. Outside of God's spirit, you don't have that gift, okay? So we're not talking about raw talent, what you're interested in. We're talking about a way that God empowers you through his spirit that you otherwise wouldn't be empowered. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. That's a nice way of Paul saying, remember when you used to do dumb stuff and you used to chase after dumb stuff? That's mute idols. Deaf, dumb, mute idols is how Paul describes it in another place. They're dumb, whether it be an actual like statue that you're pursuing or it's an idea Self-esteem, attention, popularity, approval, the list goes on. Pursuing things that, that don't reciprocate, things that make empty promises, things that don't deliver, right? We've all bought into these lies. And Paul says, remember that? Remember we used to chase after dumb things? And then he says in verse 3, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, what an interesting place to start uh, for teaching on spiritual giftings. The foundation of the gospel. The foundation of knowing Jesus as Lord. This is what I call the Trinitarian collision, for those of you who are into theological words. The place where the Trinity collides at salvation, where we hear the gospel of Jesus. We hear that Jesus, the Son of God, has come to earth. He lived a righteous life. He went to the cross, was nailed for our sins. After he died, he was pulled off the cross and put in a grave for three days. And then he resurrected from the grave, displaying his power over sin and death. And that by faith, you and I might be saved and have the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so there's the gospel of Jesus. It, it hits our ears. We hear it. And what is being described in the, in the Bible is this, that at the same time, on the inside, the Holy Spirit is there opening our eyes to see, opening our ears to hear, opening our hearts to receive this gospel. It's almost, if you will, this is a little bit of a stretch, but it's almost like God playing catch with himself. The gospel comes to us, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says what? It's actually a stumbling block for those who aren't Christians. We need the Holy Spirit stirring in us, opening up our eyes to see it, to hear it, 
to embrace it. All of this at the unfolding of the will of the Father, however that works. This beautiful collision of the Trinity there. Now, Paul is not going to get away from the Trinity much at all in this passage. And, and there's some beautiful things to be learned um, about Christian living from the Trinity. Now, with all the misconceptions and difficulties in understanding how God exists in three persons as one, there is something beautiful we can't get away from, and that is the complementary work that they, they work together in beautiful unison such that it's one working. Now, now we can begin to understand why Paul would start here to describe how you and I are to function and work in the body that we would reflect the Trinity in the way we work together as a body, as one, in beautiful unison. And we're not going to get away from this. If you're taking notes, the foundational principle is this. Understanding spiritual gifts begins with a relationship with Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. When you come to know Christ, when you trust him, with everything that you are and you lay down all your sin, he washes you clean. He gives you a new life. And Ephesians 1 says that the Holy Spirit seals you, indwells you, empowers you at that moment. You see, we hear spiritual gifting. We think, oh, there's something to do. And some, we short circuit and we go there. And I want to have a spiritual gift. I want to have a function in the church. And Paul says, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold the phone for just a second. We need to start with first things first a relationship with Jesus and this Holy Spirit in your life or spiritual giftings is really just going to be a rat chase for you, another chasing after deaf mute idols. And then he goes on in verse 4. Verse 4 says, Now there are a variety of gifts. So we're going there. There's lots of different gifts, spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, different ways to serve, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in most people. Is that what it says? Everyone. Did you see where Paul, like he's not getting away from this Trinitarian thought here. There are different gifts, but how many spirits? One spirit. Different services, different ways you can serve, but there's one Lord. Different activities that go on within the church, but there's one God who is overall empowering every believer. All right. If you're taking notes, again, God empowers believers by giving his spirit, and I don't want you to miss this principle. We're going to see this in the next verse. By giving his spirit for the common good of the church. Look at the, at the next verse here. Verse 7, to each is given a, the manifestation, that's the revealing, a tangible expression of the Spirit. So the Spirit's living in you, and there's a tangible expression coming out. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I love the combination of words. Common, meaning that it's in common. You always find it ironic how common sense isn't all that common. It's kind of a funny play on words, right? But the idea is that there is, in common sense, is that there's some sense of understanding reality that should be common, and it's just not. And we get frustrated with everybody who, isn't, uh, who doesn't understand common sense. And the reality is the way we're defining common sense is not in common because it's the way we define it, and, not, and nobody's living according to our standards. That's a great irony of common sense. Okay, apply that now to what we're learning here about spiritual gifts, that no matter what your gift is, is what passions you have, what giftings you have, what interests you have, there is a common good that we're working towards. The same way the beautiful unison of the Trinity works together for the same purpose in unison, so too our gifts should work for the common good of the whole. Your spiritual gift, believer, was not given for you. That's not common good, that's your good but the good of the whole. That's challenging. Because we like the idea that we've been given gifts that benefit us, that move us forward in life, that propel us up the ladder, and in the end, woo, we get the applause. And God says, well, well hold the phone for a second, because that's not how I've designed humanity to work. See, I've imparted a gift 
but it's not for your good. It's not so that to help you climb the ladder. It's to help the church go forward, the common good of the whole. God empowers believers by, the, by giving his spirit for the common good of the church. Verse 8. Count the, word, count the number of times you see or, see or hear the word spirit. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, spiritual gift of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge, spiritual gift of knowledge, according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, discernment. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11 sums it all up. It's my point. That's what Paul's saying. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, you get a list of spiritual gifts here, right? I mean, the word calls these things spiritual gifts. Uh, Later on in this chapter, Paul's going to mention a list of gifts again, and it changes just a little. If you go to Romans 12, you'll get a, a list of Spiritual gifts. You go to Ephesians 4, you're going to see some, some leadership roles. Here's the point. All the lists don't perfectly match up, which means this. They're, they're, this isn't in- exclusive. Like These are the only gifts that are out there, but they're definitely inclusive. We know from these lists of gifts that these are definitely ways that the Holy Spirit indwells believers and gifts them to serve the church. And what the Word is saying is that you have one of these gifts if you're in Christ. We'll make it 13 verses, we're not quite there yet, and 11 times the Holy Spirit has come up. Did you notice that? That's the point Paul is making. Different kinds of gifts, let me mention a few, but rest assured, each gift is empowered by the same Spirit. What does that mean then? The the Spirit that is empowering me with the spiritual gift is the same Spirit empowering you, which means the agenda of the Holy Spirit is the same. You see how that, that beautiful complement of unison should be true about the ways that we're gifted? Because the same spirit, Paul's making this point, the same spirit's the one empowering both of us. And the spirit doesn't have two agendas, my agenda and your agenda. The spirit has an agenda, the common good of the church, and he's calling us together to work and complement with one another. All right. If you're taking notes, spiritual gifts are given to individual believers to be brought together by the Holy Spirit to work together as one body. It's not enough for us just to bring our gifts together. I have a spiritual gift of administration. I have a spiritual gift of mercy. I have a spiritual gift of knowledge. Fantastic. We're halfway there. The beautiful working of the spiritual giftings among the body is when we actually start working as a body together. Spiritual gifts were given to individual believers to be brought together by the Holy Spirit to work together as one body. And still in your notes, spiritual gifts are given by God to the members of the body to use for ministry, leading the church towards spiritual maturity. I'm going to take you to Ephesians 4. If you want to turn there with me, you can. We'll put it up on the screen. Another place where Paul talks about the roles of leaders in the church in Ephesians 4. Starting in verse 11, it says, And he, this is God, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. He's calling out the leadership roles in the church. He gave these positions, these roles. Verse 12, look at this, though. To equip the saints, the members of the church, for the work of ministry. So leaders have been given to the church to equip the members to actually do the ministry. Look at what happens when you and I begin to function and work together. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, so that, 
So if you and I are operating in our spiritual giftings, working together, the church is doing the ministry so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Verse 16, I want you to see this. From whom the whole body joined and held together. He's using the human body as an illustration here. Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. That's you. You are the parts of the body, the joints, the ligaments, the tendons, holding together. Look at what he says happens. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What makes the church grow? Each member doing the part that God has called them to do. You see, we tend to think for the church to grow, we need to have a fabulous preacher. We need to have fantastic programs. We need to have class A discipleship classes and lecturing and all these sorts of things, which can be used by God. But the word says, you want to know how the body grows spiritually and in maturity? Each member doing its part. And so God may have given you a gift. We'll talk about behind the scenes gifts in a minute, but a behind the scenes gift like serving. I'll use the same example. So we have our, our crew up in the, in the sound and lighting loft up there. Uh, these guys who serve, um, Nick Inks, uh, Robbie Waller, Rick Hepner, uh, Jerry uh, Smith, um, Gary Gant, Chris Brashears, I think, is up there today. These guys, unless we say it out loud, you'll never even know they're up there making this whole thing work behind the scenes. Okay? So... You want to tell me that them doing their job is making the body grow? That's what the word says. Serving, using their gifts to serve the body, to serve you. The first service, we started having this crazy light show during the first song. And, uh, and I'm thinking in my mind, somebody's going to have to fix that. And I look up at Jason Lewis, and he's playing. He can't do it. And I'm thinking, why? Well, and then I look up right next to me. Here comes Rob Waller just standing right next to me. And he's ready. As soon as the song's over, boy, he's up there at the light and he's fixing it. He gets it all fixed, doing, right, doing what he's called and gifted to do. Even the technical serving causes and allows the body to grow. So our spiritual gifts have been given by God to the members of the body for use for ministry, leading the church towards spiritual maturity, if you're taking notes. Isn't that awesome? Our finance team, well, what a boring team to be on. Those team members doing their, their God-called role and function, operating in their gifting, causes the body to grow. Just as much as Jeff leading a team to the Philippines. I want to use a, uh, a different illustration we're going to move into now what Paul is going to, he's going to do next is he's going to move into um, some, some functional and some relational roles with our gifting, how they work together functionally and, and also relationally. Uh, let me read just a little bit more and then we'll talk about it. So in verse 12, he says it, the same thing two different ways. So you can kind of track with him. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. Just the body, many members, many members, one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And he's going to continue with this human body illustration explaining our functional role together. I was thinking about some ways that we could illustrate this this morning, and I tried to get a hold of a grandfather clock, something tall that you could see from the stage that would really help understand what Paul is teaching here. And so you guys know what a grandfather clock looks like. Um, most of them are really, really spectacular. Somebody's gone to great lengths to make sure that they're, they're beautiful. They're encased in some type of really nice wood, and the work is very intricate. Uh, the face is really nice, usually has glass, keeping the dust off of everything. On the inside, you see these beautiful brass parts moving, chimes, hands, all doing their thing. And so everything about the clock at first appearance is aesthetics. You look at it, you go, oh, that's, that's beautiful. Now, if it also keeps time, bonus, right? 
So like, have you ever seen a, a grandfather clock that's still on display that doesn't work? Why? Because it's beautiful. It's, somebody went to great lengths. However, it doesn't actually function in the way it's supposed to function. And here's, here's what I want to describe for us is that behind the wooden case, the glass front, the beautiful brass hands keeping time, the swinging pendulum, the chimes and all that, behind the scenes are hundreds and sometimes thousands of really small moving parts all moving in sync together to make the clock work. I've got an illustration of what this looks like. That's what it looks like if you were to take the back off and look at the back. Now, when we see a grandfather clock, we're not thinking that, are we? We're seeing time, it's pretty, nice wood, that's beautiful. Love to have that in my house. But behind the scenes are hundreds of moving parts all working perfectly in sync in order for the clock to function. This is what I believe Paul is describing of the body. You and I... We're parts. We're pieces of the whole. And we're to come together with this beautiful, unique gifting God has given each one of us to work together, just like the back of a clock or the parts of the human body, functionally, right, to make the church work and grow. Starting in verse 14, Paul says it this way. For the body does not consist of one member, but many, many moving parts. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. I love Paul's sarcasm here. So a foot could look at a hand and go, because I don't look like you, I must not be part of the body. Right? I don't dress like the hand. I don't talk like the hand. I don't move around like the hand. That must mean I'm not part of the body. Paul says, here's the thing. It doesn't make it any less a part of the body. Like the foot, the unique thing about the foot is it can't detach itself and walk away, right? If it did, you would look at it and go, well, there goes a foot. You wouldn't go, there goes a person. He said, in the same way, you belong to the body. And so just by saying, well, I don't really think I fit in at church. I don't really think I have a role. I mean, I get what Paul's saying here, but like, really, you don't know how dumb I've been? So basically, for me as a Christian, God just gave me the T-shirt, and he said, go sit on the sideline. Like, I hear what you're saying, but God doesn't want me out on the field. Paul says, you can say that? doesn't make you any less part of the body. Any more than an ear can go, you know what? I don't like hearing. I'd rather see. I'm fascinated with the eye. Right? You're supposed to feel a ridiculousness about it. That's the way Paul wants to understand your gifting and your role in the church. He's going to go on. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged. Now we need to be thinking about each other. God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them. How many of them? Some of them. The really cool ones? No. Each one, he's arranged each member in the body as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Whether you think of this as the grandfather clock or you think of this as the human body working together, the point is still the same. You are a significant part of the body of Christ such that God has given you a specific function and role. Did you know that? And you might be thinking, well, it seems like the church is working just fine without me. Are we? Uh, come spend some time behind the scenes. And let's talk about all the areas that are right now not being covered. Things that aren't being done. Like on the outside looking in, the grandfather clock, everything looks good. Everything's functioning well. Come spend some time behind the scenes, and I can show you where we're not keeping time very well. And what I mean by that is people are slipping through the cracks. We're not doing a good job caring for people. We're not doing a good job following up. We're not doing all that God has called us to do. Yeah, there's some fantastic things happening here as a church. But what you're called to be doing isn't being done unless you're doing it. That's the point Paul is making here. 
I want to share an example of how this works functionally. Um, so I mentioned Brian Walker leads our care team ministry here, which is the way that we extend um, benevolent help to folks who are in need, whether it be financial or some type of assistance or furniture or move, you know, just different things we, um, God has called us to do to help people, people in our church, people in the community. And, uh, and Brian and a team of people uh, meet with each individual person or household to assess what's going on, uh, to present the gospel, to pray with, and to see if there's some ways we can help, Okay. Um, we have to discern. You know that uncomfortable discernment time of, is this need genuine? Uh, is just giving money going to help, or do we need to offer some kind of other assistance? That's what the team does. Um, last year, um, I was just asking Brian for some numbers. Last year, um, the, the care team was able to help um, four specific households with financial needs throughout the year. Um, I think somewhere around two to $2,500 worth of funds, we were able to disperse in a way that helped People get back on their feet, get back into the, into the swing of things, and, and keep moving. Um, in addition to that, I believe close to, I don't even want to get this number wrong, at Christmas time, if you were here, you remember the Christmas store we did? Uh, we were able to reach out in a very tangible way into the community and provide opportunities for families in need to come Christmas shopping. We, we presented the gospel, prayed for these families, followed some of these families for a while. Well, the, the care team came along behind that ministry effort at Christmas and provided meals uh, for those families. Some fantastic work being done behind the scenes. Two or three families already this year have been helped, and the care team is planning on this year not only doing the Christmas meals but adding Thanksgiving to that. Now, as you can imagine, that type of ministry requires a great deal of compassion and mercy. Um, sometimes you find somebody who's down and out and really in need, and, and they didn't really do anything to get there. It's just this unfolding of circumstances. But oftentimes, let's just be honest, we do dumb things, and then we find ourselves in hard situations. It's both and. And so for me, if somebody comes to me and is genuinely in need, I got no problem helping out. But what happens when somebody has contributed to where they are? It takes mercy and compassion. I'm less compassionate. This team is a group of people who, who have this compassion of God to see people who are hurting, to sift through all those things, and to help anyway and extend the loving hand of God. They have been gifted with compassion and mercy. But guess what? They've also been gifted with administration. What? What does administration have to do with helping people who just need food? Um, let me share this with you. We are at a place right now in, in American history where it is incredibly difficult financially to operate as a nonprofit or 501c3. There are tons of hoops we have to jump through just to give money away. Whereas six, seven years ago, somebody comes in in need, and what do you need? I need a couple hundred bucks because the electricity just got turned off. It's July. My family is like, you know, we could just run and pay that bill. No questions asked. Be blessed. Love you. Pray for you. Let us know if you need anything else. Today, we've got to run through a gamut of paperwork and filling things out and jumping through hoops, organizing meetings, the whole deal. It's frustrating. Brian Walker was in the first service. I looked at him and said, does that get frustrating? He's like, yes. Why? Because they have compassion and mercy for people and they just want to help but they have to jump through all these hoops. Two things. One, we're legally obligated to jump through the hoops. So we need administration to come along with the gift of mercy and compassion to show those who have mercy which hoops to jump through, where to cross the T's and where to dot the I's. But more importantly than that, I've asked Brian before, like, well, why do you do all this? And here's the thing. Because of the gift of mercy, he looks at a person and says, because they're worth it. It's frustrating to have to jump through all these hoops, but the people are worth it. What's happening? A gift of mercy and a gift of administration are coming together and complementing one another, and they're working together. Now, just because gifts come together doesn't mean they work together. Matter of fact, oftentimes the gifts that need to work together when they're, when they're not on the same page can become, like, frustrating. We're about to see that in the text. So functionally... The gifts have a role, working together. Verse 21 begins to talk about the relational side of things. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Right? What do you do if you get something in your eye and you don't have a hand to get it out? Like, blink it out. So the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. I might not need you right now, but I'm going to need you. And guess what? You're going to need me. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable, and on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we actually bestow greater honor. I think what Paul is getting at is the behind the scenes, those who serve and don't get all the credit and, and, and glory and all the applause for everything that's going on. Right, The people serving like the crew up there and the people who serve in kids' ministry behind the scenes. and um, We just did VBS. You know, The people who put that together so that Cam could walk up on the stage and knock it out of the park. And, 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 and Cam gets a lot of the appreciation. Good job with VBS. And Cam's like, well, thank you. But behind the scenes were all the moving parts that made this come together, that organized it, put all the crafts together, came with the ideas, the skits, the, the whole experience were the moving parts. Cam just got to come up and be the mouthpiece. I think this is what Paul's talking about. All these behind-the-scene parts that don't ever get any honor. They're kind of like the parts of our body we don't, we don't ever expose. That's what he says. The end of verse 23. Bestow, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Verse 24 which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. I want to stop right there. Um, the New Testament is very clear that there are two rewards to be had in life. One is a, is a reward right now, and the second is an eternal reward. Okay, Now that's, that's true even for believers. So, um, so, so sometimes, on a rare occasion... Um, God will work through what happens in the services, and somebody will come up to me and say, God really used you in my life today to speak to me, and yada, 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 okay? Now, I know what's true. I know the only thing good that comes out of my life is Christ in me and the Holy Spirit working through me. I, I don't deserve any credit for that. However, it feels good. It's nice to be appreciated. But for every person up front being appreciated, receiving all the applause, are hundreds of people behind the scenes actually making the thing work, right? I mean, Jason, where would you be without those guys up there? <laughs> yeah. If Cam or Brian were in here, I'd say this thing. Where would you be without all those volunteers? Right now, over in the other building, volunteers laying it down for the next generation, loving on kids, and probably never getting any temporary earthly applause for what they do. How do they do it? They have their eyes set on the eternal. They're not doing it for this today. They're doing it for what they will receive eternally. And so while it feels good to get applause, you know what the greater joy is in my life, seeing you week in, week out, hear the stories of you growing, is that I'll get to spend eternity with you. And instead of this relationship, we'll be shoulder to shoulder before the throne of the Lamb, worshiping. And, and you won't, need nor want me to get up on stage at that point. You won't need nor want Jason. If he gets up on stage, you're going you're gonna to boo him off. The angels are a whole lot better at leading worship than, than our crew is. That's the eternal reward. Now, Paul says this. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same Care for one another. This is where it gets relational. I want you to hear this. Same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. It's like the clock illustration. If one piece of the, of the, of the mechanism stops for any reason, the whole body feels it. Did you feel that? Something's not right here. Something's not right. Now, what's happening is the scripture is describing the way it's supposed to be. However, in reality, we're all struggling to find our part, to find the way we fit in, right? To, to be invited in oftentimes. Some of us don't even feel like there's an invitation to be had. I'm just good sitting on the sidelines. And we're hearing this ideal prescription of what church is supposed to be. What you and I need to hear is this. In Christ, you have been given a gift, a role, and a function, and we need to figure this out. We do. Because you know what's going to happen? If you just come in week in, week out, and sit in a chair, you're going to begin to feel like I'm not really needed. 
nor am I wanted. Would anybody miss me if I don't show back up? I just wonder how many of us have been there, have ever taken a stint of time away from a church that we belong to, and we wonder that. Does anybody miss me? Did I really even matter? And the word is saying, yes, yes. God's Holy Spirit has given you a role in the church. And it's supposed to be that if any part suffers, the whole place feels it. Now, we're not great at this, but this is what we're shooting for. That's why we're going through this series as a church together this year, to find out where we need to step it up and we need to get better. But here's the thing. If all that we do is come in and sit in a chair on Sunday and then leave, you're not actually engaging in the game. So there's no wonder why the church doesn't feel it when you're gone. If you're taking notes with us, When spiritual gifts are used outside of a committed and abiding relationship with one another, they have no value. I love that Paul ended relationally. It's not just about function. It's not just about me making you better and you making me better. It's about getting to a place where we're working together in such a way that when you suffer, I feel it. That's relational. Matter of fact, the first three verses of the next chapter illustrate this for us vividly. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. And if I give away all that I have, I'm on the CARES team. Not only do I give away the church's money, I give away all my money. Come to me, I'll give away your money too. I'm a giving away fool. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver my body to be burned, all of it, but have not love, I gain nothing. You see, spiritual gifts aren't just functional They're also relational. When our spiritual gifts are used outside of a committed and abiding relationship with one another, they have no value at all. Might as well keep your mouth shut and don't be involved. I know that's hard to hear, but that's what Paul says. It's like that sound. Do you remember manual transmissions, standards? I miss them. I enjoyed it because I get bored driving. I need other things to do. But remember the sound that a manual transmission makes when you go in the wrong spot and two gears are not working together? That's what he's describing here. You and I in the body, when we're not committed to an abiding love relationship with one another, that's what we sound like, like a clanging gong or clanging cymbals, loose parts in a transmission just fluttering around, grinding on each other. You see, your spiritual gift is not just functional, it's relational. It's how you and I feel it when one part suffers because we're working together. We're talking to one another. We're talking about ministry together. We're praying for people and for each other. We're, we're all involved in ministry. Then we're more apt to feel it, right, when one part suffers or rejoice when one part celebrates. Last uh, verse here I want to read this morning. Verse 27. This is the icing on the cake. This is the place where God's word hits me really heavy. Verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ. That's second person plural. The English equivalent is y'all. Texas is the only state that has second, yeah, plural, second person English, y'all. It's plural. It means all of you. It looks like he's talking about one person, but it's plural. It's everybody. Verse 27, now you all, y'all, are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I'll be honest with you. When I first became a Christian, first of all, I didn't go to a church that taught a whole lot on spiritual gifts. And so I was kind of left up to, if I was going to get involved, it's going to be based on what I was interested in. And most of my spiritual experiences of growth when I was younger were at places like church camp. 
So early on as a Christian, my ambition um, was to either be the worship leader at a church camp or the, the camp pastor and traveling around the world and doing all this, speaking in front of hundreds and hundreds of people. I'm just being transparent with you. That's what I wanted. I want to serve the church that way. That was my spiritual experience. It took a long time. It took the better part of a decade for me to die to those ambitions and lay them at the feet of the cross and ask God, what do you want me to do? It was a wrestling match for years. That's actually how I got to Solid Rock. I was worship pastor first. Why is that so? Here's, here's the way I like to understand our spiritual journey, even as Christians. Have you ever killed a snake? Kill a snake, cut his head off. Um, but you know this, after you cut a snake's head off, he still looks like he's alive, right? I like to cut snake's heads. I don't like to do it. If, if I do it, it's not like I do it all the time. But cut a snake's head off, and then I let my boys play with it after it quits bleeding, right? And then they go, oh, it's real. It's wrapped around my arm. It's harmless. But it feels like it's alive. The same is true of our flesh. When you become a Christian, the head is cut off of the snake, but the fleshly desires, the temptations, the struggles are still there, and it feels very much alive. And so as a young Christian, we have to sort through that. What are the things I'm ambitious for? What are the things I want to do? And what is God asking me to do? I think that's one of the primary points Paul is making here. Remember who it is who empowers you? God, as he decides. And it was a long journey for me, dying to myself. But here's what I found. Once I finally got to that place and began to submit, I mean, I'm not doing youth camps, but God was looking at me going, you're close. That's kind of what I want you to be doing, but a little bit different. I need you to die to those desires, and then let me fan new ones into flame. And he, then he called me to teach and preach. But it was a long journey, and I don't know where you are in that process. Maybe you're still wondering. Uh, some of you, I wonder, do you even know what your spiritual gifts are? I like looking around the room because I'm, I get both this and this. That's a reality. Many of us have never even had the conversation before. We got saved. We got maybe started attending church, went to a Bible study, but we've never had the conversation coming out of this chapter. Well, how was God designed me then? What gift do I have? We are, um, we've put a resource up on our website I want to tell you about. It's a spiritual gift analysis. This is, um, some of you have taken these before. Um, we actually have one under our resources tab. Uh, there's a link on Facebook you can go to. It's a spreadsheet. You can answer questions, and based on a number rating system, it will show you um, where your spiritual gifts are or at least what you think they are. And that's always the thing about self-analysis, right? We tend to grade ourselves based on what we want to be. So even the, like if I ever teach the class, I always say this. Let me tell you why this is going to be a complete waste of time. You know, I always preface it, and I have everybody's attention. Well, then why are we even doing it? Here's how it potentially could be a waste of time. If you just rate yourself based on how you want people to see you or how you hope to be, you're never going to get honest answers. So in the instructions on the gift analysis we have, it says, after you get done, go get with somebody who knows you well, a spouse, a mature believer in Christ, and say, now walk through my answers with me so that they can go, really? Really? Like, God's used you to heal people before. He, maybe he has, but I need to hear about it, right? Like, or, you know... Um, Administration, really? Like, you haven't combed your hair since February. <laughs> Is this not just what? So it needs to be more than just filling out paperwork, but it's a great place to get started. And that resource is going to be available to you. But what I want you to do is if you, if you do that and work through it, get with somebody else who's a Christian, have them talk through your answers with you so you can weed through all that, uh, but also encourage you to come talk to somebody at the church, somebody on staff, one of our elders. Because here's a true reality. This is what I found to be true on spiritual gift analysis. When I first started taking them, um, leadership was number one, uh, but teaching was number three on almost every analysis. And mercy was always at the very bottom, just above speaking in tongues. But as I've grown in Christ and I've begun to submit myself more to the will of God in my life and what he's designed for me to do, and I've listened to more mature Christians affirm things in me, and say to me, this is really what I see God doing in you. It's begun to change over time. And now teaching comes to the top. And leadership's still in there, but it's not necessarily number one. And mercy's even made its way up the rung. I think it was marriage and children. But, um, but at least I'm starting to have a little bit, okay? 
Paul writes to young Timothy, a young pastor in, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and he talks about fanning into flame the spiritual gift he received when the elders laid their hands on him. And so that's why we need to be willing to go have conversations with other mature believers to say, this is what I'm seeing so that people can speak into our lives. There might very well be a gifting there that you don't think is there. And a mature brother or sister can look in your life and say, listen, I know this didn't score high, but like, I see this gift in your life. And what are they doing? Fanning it into flame that you might grow in it. Now, I want you to, I'm going to encourage you to use that resource, but really, I'm just going to tell you up front, if you don't take that conversation into, um, into some type of a spiritual mentorship or coaching, um, it's not going to be real helpful for you. Yeah, it's going to be like when you give my three-year-old a baseball bat and tell him to go for it. He needs instruction. He needs coaching. He needs to learn where he can swing it and where he can't swing it. Um, and so, like, you just need to be really cautious. Like, okay, I've got a gift of administration. So you go around trying to correct everybody. Like, it can, you need some coaching, right? Because you're going to see things and go, whoa, they could use some administration over there. But sometimes you need to refrain and go, wait a second. It's not the role. I'm not, not, I'll just lead from where I'm at. Some coaching and some instruction. All right. That resource is available to you. I want you to, to go and look at it. Um, here's where I want to end with some questions of reflection. Okay. Did I get all the blanks? Did you get everything? Okay, let me, let, me answer the la- let me speak to the last point here in your notes, and then we'll do some evaluation. So collectively, we are the body of Christ. Collectively, we, that's the y'all. We are the body of Christ. Each member makes up a part of the whole. I am not the body by myself, right? Any more than if a foot came in that door and ran across, we wouldn't say, there goes a person. You go, there goes a foot, and that was freaky. I am not the body by myself, but I am a significant part of the body of Christ at Solid Rock. And here are the questions of reflection for us as we wrap up and the worship team gets ready to come back up. First of all is this, are you aware of the spiritual gifts that you've been given? Let's just start there. Is this a brand new conversation for you? I'm gonna pray for you in just a minute. God would use tools and people in your life to help fan that into flame. Are you aware of the role that God is calling you to serve? In the church, that's how we grow, each part doing its work. Are you still in that struggle of being more likely to serve where you want to as opposed to where God's called you to? Maybe that could be where you are. Do you feel like you are connected to the church in a functional role? Let me just say it this way. In other words, are you able to see the significance of where you are serving and how essential your role is to the whole? last question is this, probably more importantly, when you show up at church, do you feel like an essential part of the church family? It's one of the main points Paul was getting to here. Yeah, there's a functional role here, but there's a relational role here too. You're needed. I always love to tell people when I haven't seen them in a while and they always feel guilty. I haven't been there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, here's the thing. Like, I don't want you to feel guilty. I want you to feel missed. Missed. 